So we just finished Thanksgiving. If we didn't eat enough, we came here tonight and ate some more. Christmas is fast approaching. As we, get, as we begin to celebrate this Christmas season, sadly, there are so many who really have no idea what the season is all about. Many are really clueless uh, why we celebrate this time of the year. They just know that they get the time off of work or they don't have to go to school. Families gather for another great meal, not even 30 days after um, Thanksgiving. Uh, they have a wonderful meal. They exchange gifts, never realizing this season is about the greatest gift that was ever given. For the believer, Christmas is about celebrating Jesus' birth. The believer knows that the Lord's birth will change man's destiny for all eternity if they will accept the gift that God has given to them. Homes everywhere are being decorated. Some of our homes were decorated for Christmas before even Thanksgiving. I love Christmas. I love the Christmas lights. I love seeing the houses lit up. I love the Christmas trees. For several years, I had a Christmas tree where the very top was a huge um, star, and all the way coming down were angels. And at the very bottom was the manger scene. And I loved it because, for me, that's what Christmas is all about. I was telling Donna uh, earlier, uh, when I celebrate the holiday, this is the only holiday I really decorate my house. Matter of fact, my grandkids say, Grandma, how come you don't do anything for the other holidays? I mean, Christmas is such work setting up all the stuff that that's all really that I can do. But um, when I when we um, when I celebrate uh, the holiday and I decorate my home, I, I I love I have angels everywhere. I have wise men everywhere. I have nativity sets, different kinds. Melissa brought me a nativity set from Africa. It's absolutely cool. It is so beautiful. Um, Xavier just brought me a nativity set from Columbia. Um, and so I love it. I love getting the nativity sets and I set them everywhere. I just, I love everything about Christmas. And my daughter has a beautiful, um, uh, a winter um, snow village. And I love it. I think they're absolutely gorgeous. But for me, I have the city of Jerusalem at my house. <laughs> and it begins with, um, the wise men coming to see Jesus and worshiping him. But it doesn't stop there. I then have the prodigal son in Jerusalem. I have the good Samaritan in Jerusalem. I have the good shepherd with his sheep. The city of Jerusalem depicts everyday lifestyle for the people in Jesus' day. There's the potter. He's building and making pots. Um, there's a uh, a building there in, my, in the city of Jerusalem, and they're making carpeting. Um, there's also uh, a man, he's cutting wheat. There's the donkeys, there's the sheep, there's the camels, there's the shepherds. Um, I, in my city, I have um, people selling their wares. I have Jesus uh, as he's doing the triumphal entry. I have where Jesus had the Last Supper, a building depicting the la where the Last Supper was. I have the Praetorium, where the Romans beat Jesus and tortured him. And then I also have, and I have it built up a little bit, uh, Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified. So when people come to my house, I want them to know Jesus is the reason for the season. And I love it. I love it every year. Um, but why did? Jesus come into the world? 
We're told in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Why would God demonstrate such an incredible act for our sinful world? I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look in our world and to see how dark it's becoming. And the longer I live, the darker it gets. Why? Why would God do this? Why did God send his only begotten son to die on a cross for you and I? Why would his son agree to even come? I mean, I blow my mind. I know what I'm like. And I've been a Christian for 45 years. But I also know how sinful I can be. Well, you'll, re- you'll remember that when we just read John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world. We're told in 1 John 4.16, God is love. The attributes of love is the expression of who God is. Because God is love, God's love is freely given without receiving anything in return. In 1 John 4, verse 10, it says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Let's make it a little personal. For my sins, for your sins. There was nothing loving about us. We're not good. I like what Xavier says because it's true. We're good for nothing. Romans 3 verse 12 says, none good, no, not one. We could not even earn his love. It is a gift. But as you study about God's love, you learn his love is everlasting. It's eternal. It will never change. God's word tells us nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is through Christ Jesus. His love overcomes every obstacle for us. For you and me, his love has overcome every obstacle. No sin he will not forgive. No darkness he will not enlighten. No heartache he will not comfort. God demonstrated this great love when he gave his only begotten son to die for the sins of the world. Those who receive his love are changed forever. When I accepted Jesus Christ into my heart, my life changed forever. Never to go back. Do I sin? Of course I do. But never to go back to that lifestyle. Matter of fact, I will never forget when my son wasn't walking with the Lord and I remember telling him, X, I never thought that you would not walk with God because I knew what God saved me from. I knew what God took me out of. And how he cleansed me. And how he washed me. And how he made a new creation out of me. So this is what God's love does. No heartache will he not comfort. No darkness he will not enlighten. God demonstrates his love to us every single day as we go through life and life's circumstances. Um, As a matter of fact, God declares his love all through his word. I challenge you to look up the word love in a concordance and record how many times it's written down. And as you record that, look up how many times God's love pertains to you and I, how much he loves us. God tells us in Psalms 139, verses 17 and 18, how precious also are your thoughts to me. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sands. I don't know if you've ever thought about it. One time I had a jar of sand. And it was probably a jar this big. Could you imagine trying to count each granule? Think about counting each granule on every coastline, 
in every desert, in every ocean floor. God's thoughts are more in number than the sands. That is awesome. That is overwhelming to think about that. I understand that we can appreciate him and we can love him. But how does he feel that way about us? I don't understand that kind of love. Don't understand it at all. Um, The word precious, when he says, how precious are your thoughts to me, the word precious means to be highly valued, uh, to be esteemed, to be costly. That's what his love and his thoughts are towards us. They are precious. There are people in our lives that when we think about them, we esteem them highly. We esteem them highly. But when you think about God feeling that way about us, it's overwhelming. The psalmist was overwhelmed by God's love and his uh, attention towards that. Listen to a description of ourselves prior to, to coming to Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 4, it says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That's what we were. We were sons and daughters of disobedience, among among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as as others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, wherewith he loved us. We were all those things. Our sinful nature had a hold of us like nobody's business. And yet God loved us. God came and he died for us. Jeremiah 24, verse 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of uh, good and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. You see, God didn't want to leave me in my sin, wallowing in the mire and in the mud. God wanted me to know him, and he wanted my life to be redeemed. He wants every one of our lives to be redeemed. That's why he came and he died for us. So in spite of our sinful life, his thoughts toward us are precious, more in number than the sand. All through the pages of scripture, it reveals how precious you are to him. You are so precious that he makes it clear through a parable, (coughs) excuse me, in Matthew 13, about the pearl of great price. In Matthew 11, verses 45 through 46, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. Uh, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. Christ is the merchant who left his heavenly home and came to earth to find a pearl of great price. Our Our Lord sold all that he had to buy that pearl. That pearl was you and I. That pearl of great price was lost mankind. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that you through his his poverty might become rich. Amazing love. He died for us, shedding his precious blood. In 1 Peter uh, 1, verses 18 and 19 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. You see, we have a holy God who came down and he took our sin upon himself. The pearl represents the church. 
You know that a pearl is not a stone, not like a diamond. A pearl is formed by a living organism. A grain of sand or other foreign matter intrudes into, its, into the shell of a small sea creature. This foreign matter harms the sea creature. The response of the organism is to send out a secretion that coats over the foreign matter. That fluid builds up until a pearl is formed. Not a ruby, not a diamond, but a beautiful white pearl. A pearl is not like any of the gems. It cannot be cut to enhance its beauty. It is formed intact. The minute you cut it, you've ruined it. Our sin was an intrusion upon our Lord. It was that foreign matter. And because we are precious, he was made sin for us. Christ was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Isaiah 53 verse 5 tells us this. Just as the sea creature sends a creation, uh, sends a secretion around the object, Christ puts around us his own righteousness. Christ sees us not as an irritant, but what we shall be one day. And in 1 John 3, verse 2, it says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You see, that's what we're doing. We're being conformed into his image. One day we're going to be just like him. Listen to this description as, as we are presented to the Lord in Ephesians 5, verse 27. Listen to what he says. This is us, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. This is how we're going to be presented to Christ. Now listen to how Christ will present us before the Father. In Jude 24, it tells us, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. He is going to present every one of us to the Father spotless. You know, all of us have issues. All of us. But when we stand with Jesus before the Father, we're going to be spotless. And I love the very last part of that verse. It says, Jesus is going to present us with exceeding joy. Don't you just love that? We've all had friends that we couldn't wait to introduce to somebody else because you love that friend so much you can't wait to share that friend with somebody else and to introduce this person. I want you to meet so-and-so. They're awesome, right? That's how Jesus feels about us. It's amazing, amazing. You and I are the pearl of great price, but it was a costly price. It did not come easily. There was an incredible price to pay. For our souls. Listen to Jesus' words as he enters the garden in Mark 14, verses 33 and 34. Jesus began to be troubled and deeply distressed. He states, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. He instructs his disciples, Stay here and watch. He asks Peter, James, and watch, uh, Peter, James, and John to pray while he goes and he prays more intimately. And as our Lord went off to, uh, to pray alone, the scripture tells us in Luke 22, verse 44, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood 
falling to the ground. How, how, how deep was that prayer? How agonizing was that prayer that as he prayed with such intensity that he sweat drops of blood? Very intense. I think the enemy was unleashing everything he had to deter our Lord in the garden. Think about the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he was tempted in the wilderness. We know that the temptations were intense or they wouldn't be called temptations. And in Luke 4, verse 2, it says, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. And afterwards, when he had ended, he was hungry. Through those 40 days of fasting, he was tried in various ways by the devil. Then after 40 40 days of fasting, when Jesus was weak physically, Satan then comes with a new onslaught of temptations for the Lord. In Luke 4, verses 2 through 13, the first temptation, Satan tempted Jesus to turn the stones to bread because of who Jesus was and because of his frailness and because he was faint. And think about it. When I'm starving, maybe I'm driving home from church. I'm starving. I've been here for four hours or whatever, and I'm going home. It's like I can't wait to put something in my mouth. I mean, you're just shoveling it in there. Think about 40 days without eating. Satan goes, oh, here, take this, take this bread, make it bread, make stones into bread. And I love it because Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. Do you remember when Jacob uh, was able to tempt his brother Esau with a bowl of porridge for for his birthright? I think many of us would have done the same thing because the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak, right? Second, Satan tempted him with giving him all the kingdoms of the world. If Jesus would uh, worship Satan, Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Jesus could not be bought. I love that. He can't be bought. Unfortunately, I see people uh, sell their souls for all, all the time, for treasures, for power, for kingdoms. They're, they're selling their soul. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 26, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I'm telling you right now, those in hell right now, they had everything in this world. Doesn't matter. I was talking to somebody the other day. You never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Never. Can't take it with you. The third temptation, Satan tempted Jesus to fall from a high pinnacle of the temple, telling him uh, God would send his angels to deliver him. And Jesus said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. How many times do we tempt the Lord by putting ourselves in compromising uh, circumstances where we have no business being? And then we expect God to deliver us, whether it's because of our finances, whether it's because of a relationship, whether it's because of a location, you fill in the blank. There are areas where we have been downright disobedient, compromised God's word. You know what you're doing? You're tempting God. Shame on us. Jesus said, you shall not tempt the Lord, your God. Jesus surpassed every temptation, but it was a fight. And it was through the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God. Each time Satan came, each time Jesus fought the good fight through the word of God. 
We're, to, we're told in Luke 4, verse 13, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until a more opportune time. I think the temptation in the wilderness was just a prelude to the garden. Jesus said, getting back to the garden in Mark 14, verses 36 and 37, Jesus said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not I will, but what you will. Then he found him, Peter, James, and John sleeping. Jesus then states, could you not watch for one hour? How many times has somebody asked you to pray for them? And you go, oh, I will pray. I'll pray for you. We go along our merry way. And then we forget maybe two weeks later, we remember, I was supposed to pray for that person. You know what I always tell the ladies? If you tell somebody you're going to pray for them, pray for them right then and there. It's much better. It's much easier. Um, He endured the anguish that no one ever endured. No one ever endured what Jesus endured as he prayed in the garden. He endured the sorrow. No one has ever endured such sorrow as Jesus. All the while, the three slept peacefully. In the garden, again, Jesus defeated Satan's temptation. His love came over the obstacle of the garden. His love overcame the obstacle of a mock trial. His love overcame the obstacle of the scourging. And you know, Isaiah 53 uh, 53 verse 2 tells us there is no beauty that we should desire him. He was beaten so badly you could not recognize him as a man. That beating represents our sins and what he did for us as he went to the cross. His love overcame the obstacle of the cross. Jesus overcame even the death of the cross and rose from the dead. Jesus said himself, In John 10, verse 18, no one takes my life, but I give it up freely. He gave his life freely. He laid down his life freely for you and I. All through Jesus' ministry, every opportune time, Satan could take a strike. He did it with every bit of fierceness and force possible. Whether he was using the Pharisees, whether he was using man, whether he was using demonic power, he used everything he could to strike Jesus. And every single time, Jesus came through it victoriously. For no other reason other than because of how precious you are to him. For no other reason other than Uh, His thoughts are more in number than the sand. For no other reason other than you are the pearl of great price. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He died that you might live and that you might live more abundantly. We can never know the height, the depth, the width, the length, and the breadth of his love. We can never, never understand it completely. Jeremiah 31 verse 3 tells us, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and with loving kindness I have drawn you. So ladies, as this season gets underway, and you find yourself stressed about all the different struggles, the trials, and the circumstances that you will encounter, know That God says in Psalms 139, verses 17 and 18, How precious also are your thoughts to me. 
If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your goodness. We praise you for your grace. We praise you for your incredible love that you have bestowed upon us. Father, I just pray that as we prepare for Christmas, as we go shopping, as we decorate our homes, Lord, that we would understand that you are the reason for the season because of your great love towards us. In Jesus' name, amen.